Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, as we take your holy scriptures, we ask that the Holy Spirit would so accompany the preaching and the hearing and the receiving of your word this day. Holy Father, let us not hear your word in vain. Do not let your word run with hindrance, with cumbrance before it, but we pray, Lord, it will run free and be glorified this day in our very midst, indeed in our very hearts. We pray for greater sanctification by your word of truth through the power of the Holy Spirit anointing this time to the glory of Christ our Lord. In his name we pray and always for his sake. Amen. Amen. I invite you this morning to take God's word and let's turn to Matthew chapter 13. So, why are we turning to Matthew 13? Aren't we in John chapter 8? Well, indeed we are. In fact, I only have one more sermon left in John chapter 8, which is already underway in preparation. But to do as I've done before, improving last week's sermon, there was a portion in the text where I was preaching in John 8, where the Lord Jesus says to the Jews that in regards to his word, he says to them that that his word finds no place in them. It finds no place in them. Verse 37, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. And if you remember, opening that up, expounding that last Sunday, I underscored the meaning of that term, finds no place, which means to advance no further, to go forward no more. And in the case and context and application of these Jewish religious leaders, what the Lord Jesus was saying in essence to them is, my word finds no home in you. And in expounding that, I referenced the parable of the sower. And one of the soils of the four that Jesus teaches us about is the one that is the hard soil, the soil upon which the seed does not even penetrate, does not even penetrate the soil at all. That's what you see in those Jewish religious leaders. The seed of the word of truth was not in any respect penetrating them. Well, I wanted to elaborate on that, but elaborate on it in addressing a text of Scripture that I have addressed before here, and that is regarding the parable of the sower. Quite frankly, I think this is a, this is a parable that, as a local church, we should visit this on some kind of an annual or biannual basis. We need to be reminded of the reception of the Word of God 
and what Jesus teaches us to expect in this world as to the reception of the word. And so that's why we're here, God willing, next week, next Sunday, we will be back in John 8, and we'll finish John chapter 8 with a sermon that I've entitled, Lord, Liar, Lunatic? Question mark. That'll be for next week. But today, Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9, and then jump to verse 18, reading verses 18 through 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then to verse 18, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is, <clears throat> this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. And so reads the infallible, inerrant, sufficient, and certain word of the living God. Perhaps the greatest challenge to gospel preaching and the work of evangelism as a whole is the way in which people respond to the gospel. And this challenge is felt most in two ways. First, no one can predict what the response will be. Second, no one can manufacture either a, either a message or method that will guarantee a saving response every time. The truth is, when it comes to spreading the gospel, we have no idea if the person hearing the gospel will be converted to Christ or not. Their conversion is not in our control. Rather, our business is simply this. Just take the gospel to as many people as you can reach, and leave the results in God's hands. This was the principal truth Paul the Apostle set forth in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, where he confessed, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. 
using metaphors from the world of agriculture, Paul spoke of his evangelistic labors as merely planting seed with another preacher coming and watering that seed. But with the actual conversion of these Corinthian sinners, that is the growth of the seed, neither Paul nor Apollos could take the credit. If salvation was to be the experience of any of these sinners, then God alone would have to bring this about. So then, while preaching the gospel is the business of the church, a saving response to the gospel is not in our control. So with this principle before us, I want to draw your attention to the aforementioned Matthew 13, 1 through 9, and then verses 18 through 23, where... Christ is giving one of his most well-known parables. We know it as the parable of the sower. And of all the parables which Jesus taught, there is none recorded in the Gospels with greater frequency than this particular parable. One reason for his repetition in the Gospels is due to its theme which centers on how people hear the saving gospel. Using the real life picture of a farmer sowing seed in the field, our Lord speaks of four different kinds of soil onto which the seed falls as it is being sown. And these four kinds of soils represent four kinds of heart responses that hear the gospel. This parable, therefore, serves to prepare the church through its preachers in particular with understanding what Christ revealed as the four basic responses to the gospel. So while we have no control over how a sinner will respond to the preaching of the gospel, yet in the parable of the sower, we are given insight as to what we should expect when the gospel goes forth. But to make this even more personal and challenging, the parable of the sower forces all of us to ask this searching question. How do I hear the word of God. How do I hear the word of God? Since this parable is ultimately about all of us and our response to the preaching of God's word, then we should see ourselves somewhere in this parable, preferably in the last of the four soils, but we should see ourselves somewhere in this parable. J.C. Ryle made this observation regarding this fact. He says it was meant to be a warning to hearers to take heed how they hear. Preaching is an ordinance of which the value can never be overrated in the church of Christ. But it should never be forgotten that there must not only be good preaching, but good hearing. Good hearing. So as we approach our study on the parable of the sower, I want us to consider the four different ways people hear the preaching of the gospel. As already mentioned, each of these responses are represented by the four different kinds of soils, which are a picture of man's heart when he hears God's word. And the heart of man under the preaching of God's word based on this parable can be either a hard heart, a shallow heart, a worldly heart, or an obedient heart. So to begin with then, Let's observe the first response, the hard heart. Look at me here in Matthew 13, in verses 1 through 4, and then in verses 18 and 19. That same day, 
Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. And then jumping to verses 18 and 19, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. When Matthew opens chapter 13 by saying, that same day Jesus went out of the house, the day Matthew is referring to takes us back to chapter 12 where we're told that Jesus' mother and brothers came looking for him with perhaps the purpose of dissuading him from preaching any longer since they knew, at least Mary knew, what would, that this would cost Jesus his life. Moreover, on this same day, Jesus had healed many people. He had expounded the true character of the Messiah. He had delivered the blind and dumb demoniac. He had charged the Jewish religious leaders with committing the unpardonable sin since they accused Jesus of casting out demons by Satan's power. And he proclaimed that unbelieving Jews would be condemned by believing Gentiles on the day of judgment while warning all the people against seeking moral reform without spiritual rebirth. Needless to say, on this day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea our Lord had been incredibly busy and burdened with a multiplicity of ministerial labors. But now at this stage in his public ministry, he would permanently change his teaching format with the great crowds gathered about him. Matthew tells us in verse 3 that Jesus started telling the crowds many things in parables. And the first of these parables revolved around the real-life picture of a sower who went out to sow. This, of course, was a very familiar image to the first century Jew. The image of a man with a seed bag slung over his shoulder, pacing up and down the furrows of his field as he repeatedly reached into his bag for a handful of seed that he would cast onto the soil. Now, as already mentioned, this parable of the sower sowing his seeds on different kinds of soil had a great spiritual truth behind it. But it was a truth which Jesus, we're told, concealed from the great crowds. However, to his disciples in private, he explained to them the secrets of the kingdom of heaven which this parable taught. And the first secret was this, that as you go about sowing the seed of the kingdom, which is the preaching of the gospel, be aware that the word of the kingdom will fall on hearts which are completely unresponsive. In other words, there will be those who hear the word of the kingdom with hard hearts. Reading again verse 19, listen to how Jesus explains this. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. The first kind of soil Jesus mentions in this parable is what he describes as along the path. For the Jew hearing this, they would know that along the path referred 
to narrow roads that separated one field from another. These roads or paths were used by farmers to crisscross from one field to another. The soil on these pathways were therefore untilled, packed down, and hardened by constant travel. So the seeds that fell on this soil were never penetrated. Never penetrated the ground and took root. Thus they were exposed and made accessible to the birds which came and devoured them. It is therefore this hardened road or path which our Lord uses to represent the heart of man, which will be totally unresponsive to the preaching of the gospel. This means that as the word of God is proclaimed, there will be people whose hearts cannot and will not be penetrated by the truth of the word. Jesus says such persons do not understand the word of the kingdom when they hear it. The reason they don't understand the preaching of God's word is not due to any defect in the message of the gospel, but to the fact that this person's heart is like hard, untilled, packed down soil. Describing this kind of sinner who hears the gospel with a hard heart, John MacArthur gave this very searching assessment. He said, he is the person often referred to in the Old Testament as stiff-necked. He is unconcerned with the things of God, completely indifferent to anything spiritual. He does not give the gospel the least consideration, thinking it to be total foolishness. He has so continually and consistently resisted anything that smacks of spirituality that the soil of his heart has become pounded down until it is impervious and insensitive. But what makes matters worse is that the hard heart is always unwittingly exposing itself to the deceptions of the devil. Hence, our Lord says of this sinner that the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. Because of his own rebellion and disgust with the teaching of God's word, the hardened heart is a virtual playground for the onslaught of Satan's attacks. The devil takes this kind of sinner and with vertible ease removes any light of God's word and replaces it with heretical teaching that contradicts and opposes the truth of the gospel. What Satan does is essentially to enforce the hardness that is already present in the sinner by deceiving him with further justifications as to why he should reject the gospel. Our Lord, therefore, is preparing us here in our mission to spread his word. Know that you will encounter people whose hearts will show no interest at all in the gospel. In fact, their response will only be either that of disgust, rebellion, or indifference. These are your agnostics, atheists, cultists, and self-righteous religionists. Hardened and self-deceived like untilled, packed down soil where no seed could ever take root. But from encountering the hard heart when the gospel seed is sown, there's another type of heart that responds to the word of the kingdom that Jesus reveals here. Notice now the shallow heart. The shallow heart. Looking at verses 5 and 6 and then verses 20 and 21. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up 
Since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. And then verses 20 and 21. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. The next type of soil Jesus introduces us to is what he describes as rocky ground. This kind of soil refers to underlying beds of solid rock which settled deeper in the ground than the plow could reach. Thus, when the seeds are sown in this type of soil, as they begin to germinate, their roots will not penetrate the rocks below the surface. The result of this is a quicker blooming of the plant, which may look healthy at first, but since its roots could never reach deep enough to absorb moisture and nourishment, and nourishment, when the sun rose, these plants were scorched, having no root, and thus withered away. Now, analogous to this kind of soil, Jesus warns his disciples of what will be a shallow heart in response to gospel preaching. Our Lord declares, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. The shallow heart is obviously the opposite of the hard heart. This kind of sinner shows no resistance at all to the gospel. But upon hearing the good news of Christ, this person responds with instant emotional excitement. With open arms coupled with apparent joy, the sinner shows all the positive feelings one would expect to see in a genuine convert to Christ. Moreover, they act on these feelings. Jesus says that such a person, notice, notice this, he says such a person endures for a while. They endure for a while. So what might they do? Well, in our context, they join a church. Get baptized, get involved in all the activities of the church. They're always showing excitement about the preaching and singing and just can't say enough good things about what the church is doing and where the church is going. As you can imagine, a person exhibiting this kind of seeming spiritual euphoria just stands out in a local church and, frankly, wherever they may go. For them, everything is positive. But unless we get carried away by the excitement of this sinner, Jesus gives us a special word of discernment. Yet he has no root in himself. Yet he has no root in himself. While the gospel may have prompted a host of positive feelings in this person, yet the true impact of the gospel was only superficial. His feelings were changed, but not his heart. He was stirred in his emotions only. God's word took no root at all in this sinner. And the proof of his shallow heart in response to the gospel is when he is confronted 
by the high cost of what it means to follow Christ, Jesus says, but when tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately what happens to him? He falls away. He falls away. Here is the proof of his false conversion. Here is the proof of his shallow faith. When a moment arises that all his Jesus talk is put to the test, when he may perhaps lose his job or be excluded by his family or possibly even lose his very life on, on, the, on account of the word, in that moment, the truth of his excited faith is proven to be nothing more than a shallow, empty profession he made with his lips. In fact, as our Lord says, immediately he falls away. By falling away, Jesus is indicating by this term that the price to follow him becomes a scandal. It becomes a stumbling block. It becomes an offense to this shallow, superficial, false believer. He becomes ashamed of the gospel. But what's worse, he denies Christ himself who he so loudly proclaimed he trusted and believed in. How many people throughout the history of the church have come loudly and emotionally through its front door, yet only in time to be found fleeing the church from the back door? They stood so high and promising under the banner of Jesus, only to be found out as a spiritual traitor in the end. Listen to me. This is what provoked Jonathan Edwards to write his most famous published book, The Religious Affections. This is what provoked him to write it. Because following the Great Awakening, where it was reported that there were over 50,000 conversions to Christ between 1740 to 42, by 1745, Jonathan Edwards was seeing some very different things among just the people that he pastored there in Northampton, Massachusetts. People who had professed so loudly, who had made so many boasts of their faith, and he was beholding many of them falling away. Indeed, he speaks of them as rocky ground hearers. Rocky ground hearers. Commenting on the spiritual state of this rocky ground hearer, consider the wise counsel of J.C. Rowell. J.C. Rowell, who, who studied very carefully Jonathan Edwards' religious affections and if you've ever read Edwards' Religious Affections, you can pick up on the influence of that work in this quote from J.C. Ryle. Listen closely to what Ryle said. He said, Feelings, no doubt, fill a most important office in our personal Christianity. Without them, there can be no saving religion. Hope and joy and peace and confidence and resignation and love and fear are things which must be felt if they really exist. But it must never be forgotten that there are religious affections which are spurious and false 
and spring from nothing better than animal excitement. It is quite possible to feel great pleasure or deep alarm under the preaching of the gospel and yet to be utterly destitute of the grace of God. The tears of some hearers of sermons and the extravagant delight in others are no certain marks of conversion. We may be warm admirers of favorite preachers and yet remain nothing better than stony ground hearers. Nothing should content us but a deep, humbling, self-mortifying work of the Holy Spirit and a heart union with Christ. Well put. Well spoken. So here again, we have this warning. Okay? We have this warning. As the word of God is preached, it may not only encounter a hard heart, but a shallow heart. And it is due to this fact that we, as the church, must be careful and cautious before we lay our hands too quickly on those who may appear to be saved. Mere excited emotions are no true indicator of a genuine conversion to Christ. But a hard heart and a shallow heart will not be the only response to the preaching of the gospel. As we move on here in our text, let's consider now the worldly heart. The worldly heart. Looking at verses 7 and 22. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And then verse 22, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. The third kind of soil that Jesus now directs our attention to is what we may describe as infested by thorns. In this instance, the seeds that are sown here fall upon ground that looks well cultivated. But when the grain begins to sprout, so did the thorns. These hard, tough, thistle-bearing weeds grew up and choked the good plants by harboring nearly all the space, moisture, nourishment, and sunlight for themselves. Now, as an analogy to this thorn-infested soil, Jesus reveals Another response to the gospel, which we could call the worldly heart. Reading again verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Among those who may hear the preaching of God's word, there will always be that sinner whose love deepest concerns, determination, ambition, and affections are fixated on nothing but the things of this world. In fact, while they might even give a token profession of faith in Christ, yet their words and deeds betray a heart preoccupied with only the here and now. These are sinners who are driven to get ahead in the world. They want all the prestige They want all the power, the position, the prosperity which they can gain from this world. And if joining a church and calling themselves Christians will look good on their resume, then they will attach themselves to Christ as long as wearing His name will prove successful for them in the world. However, 
The true call of the gospel, the call to self-denial, the call to bearing your cross and following Christ, that call these worldly sinners have no category for in their thinking. When they hear the word of God, demand unfettered love to Jesus, manifested by unconditional obedience to his lordship, such a worldly sinner turns a blind eye and a deaf ear. They have no heart for Christ as their treasure because only the world is their treasure. Hence Jesus says of them, But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. The verb translated here as choke is a present tense verb. Jesus is revealing a heart condition, a settled pattern. So that no matter how many biblical sermons this person may hear, their love for the world will always choke the truth of the gospel penetrating their heart. Their lives are always proving unfruitful. No gospel fruit, no love for Christ, no repentance of sin, no hungering and thirsting after righteousness and holiness. All they can think about, all they can talk about, all they can busy themselves about are the things of the world. It may be their family or their career, their education, their hobbies, their money, their friends or their fun. Take your pick, whatever it is. Jesus Christ and the authority of his word has no saving effect upon them. They are worldly worldly in their hearts. And sadly, the visible church tends to be quite full, especially in the Western world of such sinners like this. But in addition to the worldly heart, the shallow heart and the hard heart, There's one final type of response which our Lord indicates we may encounter when the word of God is preached, and it is the obedient heart. Looking at verses 8 and 23, this is what we read. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And then verse 23, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Now, it should be apparent that this last example Christ gives as to the kind of heart that will respond to the gospel is, in fact, a saving conversion to Christ. The first three examples were all pictures of unconverted sinners. They were each a different expression of how the unregenerate express their unbelief toward Christ. The hard heart is openly rebellious and indifferent. The shallow heart is short-lived, showing a seeming enthusiasm for Christ only on condition that they do not have to sacrifice anything for Him. And the worldly heart gives Jesus a token nod of lip service respect, but for this person, His love is building His own kingdom in this world. So when the word of God goes forth, when the gospel is proclaimed, our Lord Jesus prepares his church to understand that not every response will be a 
redemptive, saving response. But despite this fact, there will be seed sown on good soil. And we say, thank God for that. There will be those sinners on whom and in whom the gospel will penetrate by the power of the Spirit. There will be those sinners who, unlike the hardened, shallow, and worldly sinners, will be given by God a new heart that will prove itself to be an obedient heart. Obedient to the gospel command to believe on Christ and repent of their sins. Obedient to the gospel command to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow Christ. Obedient to the gospel command to pursue holiness. And obedient to the gospel command to love one another as Christ has loved them. By these small samplings of a truly regenerated heart, which is an obedient heart, we see that in a true believer in Christ, there will be what Jesus describes in our text as bearing fruit. You see, in the previous examples, this is the very thing that was missing. Have you ever picked up on that? This is what was missing. There was no fruit bearing. There was a listening to God's word and the stirring up of emotions, but no mention of fruit. Whatever these sinners had claimed, it was all a sham. It was phony. And the proof of this was in the fact that there was no spiritual fruit manifested in their lives. The fruit that Galatians 5, and 23 describes as the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. And it should be noted that our Lord makes it clear that there will be differing degrees of fruit bearing in the lives of His followers. Jesus says... He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. And some true believers, we will see more manifestations of the Spirit's fruit than we do in others. But, nevertheless, understand, if you are a true Christian, if you have truly been born of the Spirit then there will be the fruit of the Spirit in your life. It will be there. Notice again what our Lord says here. In one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Yet notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, and in another zero. No fruit. Does he say that? No, he does not say that. No. If you have heard the word of God unto salvation, then your life will be like the good soil and produce grain. You will have a spirit-empowered, fruit-bearing, Christ-exalting life. And let me say this. I always got to make this qualification because we're on this side of glory and none of us is perfect and without sin. So let me make this qualification. Though this life will be mixed with much sin and weakness and immaturity and infirmities and personal hang-ups, yet it will be clearly seen by others that Jesus has in fact saved you. Even with all your mess. Because every one of us in here are a mess. 
all of us. A redeemed mess, but we're a mess nonetheless. You all have problems, I have problems. And the sooner we learn that our biggest problem is in fact ourselves, the better off we'll be. But I could regress very quickly here and on to another sermon completely different than this. So I'll keep moving on. The proof of your salvation will not be in words only. Not in words only, but in a life lived for the glory of God. And that life is lived from an obedient heart in response to the word of God. So, in the light of this parable of the sower, let me ask you our leading question. How do you hear the word of God? How do you hear the word of God? When God's word is preached, do you hear it with a heart represented by hardened soil, rocky soil, thorn-infested soil, or good soil? This is where we need to examine ourselves. Where do you fit in? Where do you fit in? Are you hardened to the word of God? Are you careless, thoughtless, and indifferent to what God's word says? And imagine if you were, you might not be here. But, just in case. Are you always arguing with the word of God? Calling into question the integrity of its teaching and its application on your life because you really don't believe what it says. Is this your response to the word of God? Or is your response to the word of God shallow and superficial? You may listen to a sermon with pleasure while its impression on you is short-lived and temporary. In fact, you may even make a whole series of moral resolutions in response to the word which you never live up to. Whatever your emotional response is to the Word of God, it is nothing but a warm tear rolling down your cheek. That's all it is. Your emotions are stirred, but there is never any obedience to Christ. Brokenness over sin, repentance of sin, will not be found in such a person. Moreover, when the gospel calls such a shallow professor to count the cost for Jesus, what do they do? They flee and cannot be found. Is this anyone here today? Or could it be that in response to the word of God, your heart is unmoved because it is captured by the love of this world? Family, friends, career, education, pleasure, making more money. That's what captivates all your affections. Your worldly but not godly. Whatever gospel truth you ever hear, it is choked out by the love of this world. You give no thought to following Christ and thus giving up all for Him because there is no love for Christ in a worldly heart. And so I simply ask, does this describe anyone here today? Is your heart infested with the thorns of this world? But it could be. It could be, and, and I pray sincerely that it is, that you, in fact, hear God's word 
not just with joy, like the shallow heart, but with joyful obedience. With joyful obedience. Is repentance toward God, faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ, holiness of life and character, prayerfulness, humility, love and spiritual mindedness, the marks of your life. Does the fruit of the Spirit manifest itself clearly in your affections, your words, your deeds, though, as I've already said, in differing degrees? A godly life is a fruitful life. A godly life is a fruitful life. It is a life where Christ in His glory shows up in how we treat one another in our families, on our jobs, in the church, in the community. It is a life where love for God and love for neighbor is not just a sign we stick in the front yard, but it is what we adorn in our hearts and with our speech and actions. But, but, is this the life we own? Is this the life we own? If we're truly saved by God's grace in Jesus Christ, well, then the answer will be yes. Yes. Yes, this, this, this is the life I own. And again, it's, it's messy. And it's not without remaining sin. It's not without the ugliness of the flesh. And in other words, the godly life is also... <laughs> An embattled life, a life doing war every day with remaining sin. But this is the life I own. I mean, beloved, if you can say that, then that is assurance of your faith in Christ. That is assurance that you have been born again. Well, let me close our study with one final observation. Again, from J.C. Ryle concerning the parable of the sower. Listen to what Ryle wrote. There is no part of this parable more important than this. Now listen to this next statement. This is, this is especially important in reformed churches like us. Okay, We must never be content with a barren orthodoxy and a cold maintenance of correct theological views. We must not be satisfied with clear knowledge, warm feelings, and a decent profession. We must see to it that the gospel we profess to love produces fruit in our hearts and lives. This is real Christianity. The words of the Apostle James should often ring in our ears. And he's quoting here from James 1.22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. In other words, what James is saying, don't sit there in that pew and merely be an auditor of the word. You heard the word preached and you do nothing about it. You do nothing. You're just a hearer.
Don't be that and deceive yourself. Be a doer. A doer by the grace of God in Christ. Prove yourself born again, born of the Spirit, a child of the living God in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, eternal in the heavens, We thank you, Lord, for how sobering, how searching your holy word is and what it has been to us today in that regard. Blessed Father, we pray that if there are any among us even those not here today, absent from us, but are a part of this local church family. But any among us, Lord, that could be so described as a hard heart or shallow heart or worldly heart, oh God, I pray that you will visit such even this very day in your mercy and kindness, not leaving them to the delusion and the bondage of their flesh and sin, but rescuing their souls from eternal damnation, calling them out of the darkness wherein they sit even now, deceiving themselves, Lord. Awaken such, draw them effectually to Jesus Christ, we pray. And Father, for those of us here who are your true saints, who have been genuinely born again, Lord, we pray that what we have heard from this teaching today in the parable of the sower, what we have heard concerning the good soil producing grain May it encourage and motivate us as your people, Father, to pursue greater and larger measures of obedience to you in our life. That there will be a greater abundance of the Spirit's fruit growing, maturing, manifesting itself in each one of us as your people. We earnestly pray for such sanctifying grace to be given us by the indwelling Spirit in larger measure for the sake and for the honor of Christ Jesus our Lord we pray in his name Amen and Amen